Aloha, you're listening to the Rolling Vets Podcast. Podcast by veterans, for veterans, and civilians alike. I am Luke Smosser, co-host, and I am flanked by my Marine veteran peers, Aaron Pata, Chris Ellis, and our very special guest, Evan Weiss. We would like to extend an invitation to you, the listener, to journey inside of our realm to discover what it means to be a rolling vet. And we are back. Sure are. And I would like to announce that I, uh, I, uh, opened a supplement company and after some discussion vet labs is now going to be sponsoring the rolling vets podcast mm. Vet labs is a veteran owned supplement company and you fucking know it it's made in america like it fucking Here. should be god bless we you. use no fillers no proprietary blends we're open and go ahead and visit us at www.victorechotangolimaalphabravozulu let's fucking go right on vet labs check it out for all your dietary supplement needs um veteran owned obviously which is the most important here so sergeant of marines evan weiss uh, evan weiss is fine (laughs) (laughs) or evan so you are a dear friend to myself and others and um a dear friend to the show we wanted to have you on um because of that reason and also because you have a very very interesting and unique experience in the military your your um your experience varies differently drastically i would say um to a lot of uh, other people who, who journey through the military so kind of start us off like where are you from what were you kind of doing before the marine corps uh why the marine corps and uh why join in general yeah i should just say before we get started uh, i'd like to offer a disclaimer a sort of prefatory remark that uh I, I haven't listened to much of the content on this podcast, and I am uh, uh, appearing as a personal friend of yours, so I don't want my presence here to be an endorsement of any uh, political sentiments or um, any other ideas that you guys may express that may be antithetical to my own. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but now that I've no. said that, well, first, I want to congratulate everybody who's involved on their uh, on their success after after leaving the Marine Corps. Um, it's just really great to see people that I haven't seen in a while. Um, Lucas, you and I had the opportunity to hang out a little while when you came out to New York city. Um, but I haven't seen Aaron or Chris, so it's, it's really good to see you guys. And I'm I'm happy that you guys are, you know, healthy and, uh, and doing well. Um, yeah, I guess my story is interesting. So I'm 38 years old and I just got out of the Marine Corps in 2021. So a lot of people ask me like, did you retire? And I'm like, no, I only did one (laughs) of Yeah. (laughs) Which means I went in when I was old. I had to get an age waiver. Um, and I guess that begs the question, well, you know, you know, why would somebody who was, uh, I guess, ostensibly gainfully employed at the age of, I was like 28 when I started looking into this process, want to join the Marine Corps? Um, and I think about that a lot. I mean, I, I had reasons that I had rehearsed in my head and recited to people who were curious about it, but I don't think any of those really came close to the truth of the matter. Um, you know, I uh, I always had the sense that other people, ever since childhood, that other people just did life better than me, that uh, that even though I was successful in some respects, that it always took me longer and I had to work harder and I wasn't naturally inclined towards certain things. And so as a result of that, I ended up being in my late 20s and having only recently moved out of my mother's house and, um, you know, uh, still feeling this uh, intense sense of of otherness and inadequacy. Um, and so I suppose the decision to look into joining the military was like, a, you know, an overcompensation for that. Um, 
but there was a constellation of circumstances involved. I was involved in a profession at the time. I had left a job that I really loved for a different job that appeared to me to be um, a longer term prospect, maybe something more prestigious and financially gainful. I ended up working for the for the judiciary, for the court system, running uh, uh, what we call in New Jersey a drug court. It's an alternative sentencing program for individuals who are in the criminal justice system, um, but who uh, have issues with addiction or alcoholism and who um, uh, then receive treatment instead of being incarcerated. Um, and, you know, I loved the idea of it, of help, helping people to avoid incarceration. Um, but it was uh, bureaucratically a very challenging environment. And I'm starting to realize now that I was never, you know, well adjusted to the office space. And I, I think just on a whim one day, I started like even before the Marine Corps, you're saying? Yeah, I'd always worked in offices, but I had always felt like, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that I just, you know, wasn't good at the office routine, that it always took me so much more to adjust to the technology, the etiquette, um, the pace of things. You know, I did well in my jobs and I, you know, earned a lot of respect for what I did. But, you know, little did people know I had to stay until 11 o'clock at night to get the job done the right way. Um and so I guess the Marine Corps was in large part a way for, you know, other people to make decisions for me instead of me having to to make the decisions myself, you know. Uh, that, that's an interesting, that's that's very interesting though, because because um, you, from what I'm gathering is that you, you've kind of, were kind of like a cog in the machine, you know, and just going through the flows of life um, and decided that you kind of just wanted to take your hands off the wheel and then one of the best ways to take your hand off the wheel for a little bit is to join the military yeah well and the other thing i mentioned is that you know i was in my late 30s at the time and i was still just this um i you know even to this day i don't feel like an adult you know i've always felt like i'm still a kid you know like i'm terrified of responsibility i'm terrified <laughs> of committing to things so i have this tendency to sort of just you know as as well adjusted as i seem to people who meet me like you know yeah fresh off the street, you know, or, or people that I meet in the Marine Corps, it, you know, it, it's not so I, I have this like whimsical side of me that. So kind of, is it like a, is it like a, I don't know, like an imposter syndrome almost? Cause I, I had that same sense of it's like, oh fuck, like I'm an adult now. I have like, I'm working this like job. Like I'm fucking taking life serious. I have a kid now. Like, I, have, I have a mortgage. Like, I, like I'm a fucking grown adult now. Like I have these fucking responsibilities. Like, oh fuck. Like, am I, yeah. Am what I, are you doing? doing smoking right? weed like, on a podcast am with I us? fucking doing this right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think the answer is if you've gotten to that point where you're taking care of your child, you're in a committed relationship with, uh, uh, you know, your significant other, you have a house and you're happy, you know, you're fine. Uh, for me, I could never get to those points because um, of this, you know, really intense fear of of committing to things um, in terms See, of yeah, life, in terms of work. I feel terms of, like it goes both um, ways, though, Evan. You know, like you got out of the Marine Corps, you completed your service. You know, you're out now, you're you're doing well, you're established. If anything, like I still consider myself a kid as well. I'm just a kid with adult money. Like I joke around with that about that with uh, the girlfriend all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, listen, I'm 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 not under the the delusion that I'm doing, you know, bad. I just this is just an aspect of my personality that I think informed my decision to join the Marine Corps to, you know, I, I mean I had a job that would have resulted in you know, um, employment protections, a a pension, all those things that people, you know, really strive for, and something inside of me, you know, made me made me give it up. And as I said, I think it was those two factors. I think it's this, you know, persistent sense of of inadequacy, um, 
combined with, uh, you know, the desire not to be locked into a particular, um, you know, course in life. And I think I like it, it gave you like, like made you like live, like live a little too. It's like, all right, like let's go fucking do this. Like let's go fucking well, the science reason why, contract. I mean, well, the, re- the reason why I chose the Marine Corps, is I was like, well, if I'm if I'm gonna do something dramatic, let me do the most dramatic <laughs> thing. Yeah. And you know how they, <laughs> I mean, you guys have seen the movies where they, you know, they portray Paris Island as this really, you know, um, awful place to be. And I said to myself, like, if I'm gonna prove to myself, and you know, I, I I'd be lying if I said I wasn't trying to prove to other people that I was you know, a, uh, for lack of a better characterization, like a substantial person that, you know, I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't part of the reason why I chose the Marine Corps. And I'll tell you this much. So often in life, do things not live up to our expectations for them? Paris Island in every way lived up to the terror that I felt before going there. I mean, it was that <laughs> physically challenging for me at 30 years old with like creaky bones and joints and, you know, just, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I've earned a reputation as somebody who falls asleep standing up. So you can imagine yeah. <laughs> you to stay awake through half of the activities we were required to do on like no sleep on Paris Island. So it was one of those experiences that was like, in every way uh, possible, exactly what I expected it to be. Well, speak to like the mental. So obviously, like the physical side of it is very daunting. And I think that's what turns a lot of people off from considering joining the, the Marines when they think about the military is obviously the intensity and and uh um just like the training itself is very uh intimidating but speak to so you going into boot camp um at an older age so like and and you you i think you can also like um kind of pick out a little bit of the stockholm syndrome that goes there you're you're able to identify it a lot easier you're you're able to identify a lot of the fuck fuck games they're playing you can see right through that like is that is that accurate to say like of your experience in boot camp yeah, I mean, you make a great point is that when you're older, I mean, I think like, and, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, it's just a fact that ideologically, the reason why, you know, uh, people are able to enlist in the military at such a young age is because, you know, their their minds are still being formed. And, you know, I think, <clears throat> it, you know, it's an awful phenomenon, but that um, is what enables the military to mold people um, into its own shape, or to mold people into the shape of the military, rather. Um, going in at 30 years old, I had had enough experience in life to know that things go wrong more than they go right. So activities that other people just assumed were safe and that other people were able able to approach, you know, with a very stress-free mindset without catastrophizing the situation, I went into just totally, totally shocked and awed and terrified. I mean, what, what are some of these situations? Um, well, I mean, the most obvious one that comes to mind is the crucible. Like it's it's built up um, in your mind as this, you know, um, thing that's supposed to prepare you for the most extreme situation you might encounter. And whether that's true or not, that's the impression that they give you. And so that terrified me. Um, the other thing, believe it or not, was the obstacle course, because I'm not a strong person. Like I'm not, I'm like a feeble individual. Like I'm not, I don't lift a lot of weight. I don't, you know, I can barely lift myself up. Hey, Vet Labs, bro. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Good plug, good plug. I remember when I met my recruiter for the first time, I did, um, I thought it was three pull-ups. He told me not one of them counted. (laughs) I remember it took every ounce of strength that I had in my body to do those pull-ups. You know, I was, I was morbidly overweight until three years before I decided to start joining the Marine Corps. So this sort of physical exertion just wasn't, you know, wasn't. But you would, you would smoke motherfuckers in a foot race though. And like on a three mile, on a three mile, you would smoke motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 1842 is my best. (laughs) 
<laughs> what a year. Okay, I'll say, I'll say, I, knew. I remember the first time I ever like, had a, seen a P, you were on a PFT, I ran a PFT with you. I was like, this motherfucker so is fast. Like, yeah. Eight years older than me, nine years older than me, and is whooping my ass. I was like, Jesus fucking, I was like, I need to train harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Evan and I were just texting the other day about uh, uh, fucking, we, we were talking about something, and I was, there was a time in comm school, I had, I came down with like bronchitis or whatever. I and, remember this so vividly. And we were doing, we were doing our like final PFT or whatever for, to, like right before we graduated. And I could not do the sit-ups, dude. Fucking Domino's had finally caught up to me. Six months of Domino's there at the 29 bombs. <laughs> finally, all the cheesy bread caught up to me. And these 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 crunches were not happening. And they weren't even, like, happening in a sense where you could kind of, like, be like, oh, yeah, like, oh, one. He probably didn't even give me something to lie about. Nah, <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably, like, you know, most people kind of shoot for, like, as many as they can do, which is probably average around 60. And I couldn't even probably get the minimum, I think, which was, like, 44 and uh the entire time like each one i'm coming up like he's like i'm just so disappointed in you he's like how can you you see yourself right now <laughs> and i'm just like i'm like nah, <laughs> yeah but um i i don't know if i i don't know if i said this but the the other activity that really terrified me in boot camp was the obstacle course i'm not sure if i said that before i mentioned how how feeble and and weak i am but oh, I yeah, yeah. pictures of the obstacle course. And just as an aside, uh, Lucas is not representing how physically fit he was in comp school because he was fast. I was and fast, but he was he was an intense guy. So he he he's not representing fully. I mean, he did eat a lot of dominoes, but he's not representing how fit he was. Yeah. But yeah, that was like um, another thing that because the, the one thing that they do avail you of when you're in recruit training is that calendar that tells you when the events are coming up. And so when I saw like the first time that we had to do the obstacle course and that I had to navigate these really tall structures and that they involved like lifting yourself over them, I was like, I remember I couldn't sleep. Um, and because you also deal, deal with the fear of getting dropped at any moment. And yeah. you know, imagine my um, insecurity compared to the average 18 year old. Like I, I left everything behind. I, I upset my family. I confused people only to get dropped for not being able to lift myself over the pull-up bar. Yeah, you know, that's that's, a, awful. that's so crazy. Things. And I never really thought about it that way, of like the different perspective, like to have, like my, my like thinking right now, because I was like the age that you were thinking to go in, in a couple more years, I'll be 30. So like looking back at it now, when I did that, when, when I was when I was 19 years old in boot camp, everything to me was like a fucking challenge. Like, I was like, oh, the old course? Like, I'm going to smash this shit. Like, I'm going to be the first, fucking first one done. Like, oh, climbing ropes? I'm going to be the fucking first one up. Now I'll be like, God damn, dude! Like I have to get that fucking rope right now. Like, youthful, you have that. <laughs> you have that youthful invulnerability. You have the youthful invulnerability. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. like you think. But I mean, dude, I'd be honest. With you, I mean, for for myself, like the rope scared the shit out of me, dude. Like I was so I would bust my ass and go through the course so fast. By the time I got to the rope, I was so fucking tired, dude. I couldn't get up it. And I, I mean, one of the I guess one of the most. Um, greatest experiences or accomplishments in my life and it's so 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 small so small of a moment because i focused so much on struggling getting up that rope that i remember we did like a hike it was like a it was like a six mile hike and at the end we had to do the o course um and after and i ran through the o course after doing the hike and then i climbed up the rope and i made it all the way to the top and i was like damn i was able to do this after six miles and i couldn't do it after fucking morning pt like it was yeah. bullshit but uh <laughs> but yeah but just having that moment where i was able to like damn i okay i can do this like i, I can do that and you know um but to evan's point like and to your point also chris is like as us coming in at 19 like to be honest with you i didn't have anything to fucking lose 
Like I, I was going in with like, if I didn't make it, I was like, okay, fine. Like if I got kicked out or whatever, I'd just go, to, I would just go to college. Like I know I had a home to go to, like my family would have just been like, okay, cool. Like whatever that didn't work out. Like let's help you out with the next big thing. But you know, Evan, you literally like left like a career behind the uh, career and, and speak to how, speak a little bit like how your family was. <laughs> Cause that's a very, I think that's very interesting too. Like you telling your family, Oh, by the way, um, I'm leaving my really good job and I'm going to go join the Marine Corps enlisted, by the way, that's something we didn't even stay. Oh, well, we said Sergeant of Marines, but like you went enlisted route when you had the opportunity to go in as an officer. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I mean, ostensibly I had the opportunity to go in as an officer, but then they asked me like how many pull-ups I can do. And when I told them, they said they wouldn't, I mean, I would have, I, I probably would have not wanted to go that route anyway, but yeah. Um, you know, they have very strict standards for people who want to go the OCS route. And as I mentioned, having only recently lost all the weight, like I wasn't, I probably wasn't at the point where I could have, you know, done what they needed me to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, my family was outwardly supportive. And when I speak to my mother about it now, like she told me she cried for a week after she dropped me off to the recruiter's office, um, you know, to go, to go to recruit training. So they, they're, I mean, they're such beautiful people. They would mm -hmm. never you know, if I wanted to do something, they would support it wholeheartedly, even if it shook them to their core. And that was especially the case with my mother. Um, you know, you know, I could see it on her face that she had this sort of ambivalence um, in the sense that she was proud that I was undertaking this really um, difficult task, but at the same time, you know, destroyed that her, her son, her youngest son, her baby was going to be gone for what amounted to five years, you know, and and, you know, that was, but all I can say is that it's a strange situation insofar as just like anything else I've ever attempted to do in my life. Like when I told them I wanted to be a social worker, which is not a career that is financially gainful, like they supported me. They're like the type of parents that everybody wants where, you know, you like when I was a kid and I wanted to be an actor, when I thought I wanted to be a rapper, like, you know, you know, <laughs> you know some bars professional, or professional some bars. skateboarder. Like they rollerblader. This is what I told you about me. I'm so like, you know, uh whimsical and capricious. Like I think of something and then I just want to go do it. And you know, my parents, they're such sane, you know, um usual people, and they just support me in everything. And this was the one thing that if they were ever not gonna support me in something, it should have been this. But, but yeah. and, you know, I, I you know, and so when people ask me, like, do you regret leaving that job? Um you know, no, I, I don't regret leaving that job because, and I, I don't even believe in that question. Like, you know, do you regret, you know, this, this phase of your life? Because um, if I were to say to somebody, I wish I didn't do it, then I wouldn't know some of the people who I consider to be my closest friends. Like, I mean, like the text messages that I exchanged with some of my closest friends from the Marine Corps, as strange as this seems like, you know, sustain me mm -hmm. um, conversations that I've had with, um, with, you know, fellow Marines um, have, you know, made all the difference between a good day and a bad day. Um, and, you know, you guys gave me like, almost like a second childhood. I was a bookworm. I was, you know, in a lot of respects, I mean, I was always ebullient and outgoing and outspoken, but in a lot of respects, I was very sort of um, socially reclusive. And, you know, living with you guys in the barracks, I mean... <laughs> You know, how learning about How learning that? about like I, I learned like I had never I, I'm not on TikTok or anything, but I had never yeah. seen TikTok. I had never seen Snapchat. I didn't listen to half the music that I listen to now before I met like you, Castaneda, Garcia. Like I, you know, it was like 
Shout out to those guys. Shout out to those. <laughs> yep. Lepercio, I mean, yeah, I, the real homies. Yeah. I I developed like <clears throat> I wouldn't say an alter ego, but uh, you know, a, a a totally other persona. And I had cultivated so many like new interests. And you know, most importantly, I think, you know, and if, if my lifelong friends see this, they'll probably raise an eyebrow at this, but you develop an intimacy with people. Um in situations like, you know, like we lived in living in the barracks, being deployed together, you know, um, sleeping in the same tent together for three weeks while you're in the field, you know, you develop an intimacy that's totally different and more intense than the type of intimacy that you have with people who you've known your whole life. Yeah. And so one thing that I regret about myself, my whole life is that I've been a very self-absorbed and selfish person. And I mean, I've always shown up for the big things. Like if, if anybody's ever needed something from me that was critical, like I'd, I'd always be there. But being in the military and developing those sorts of relationships, I think helped me be more generous in the moment, be more um, intimate in the moment, be more you know loyal and considerate in the moment. And don't get me wrong, you know, Lucas, you know better than anybody that there were yeah. laughs in that. Like <laughs> you, you know, we had fights or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but- We almost actually oh, fist fought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta tell that story too. But um, but like I, you know, I, and I like to think that this new aspect or this evolving aspect of me has been tested. But like I, you know, I really would do, uh, you know, just about anything for the friends that I that I made in the Marine Corps. You know, and um, it has nothing to do with the Marine Corps. It doesn't. Like it's not esprit de corps. It's not patriotism. It's not any of that. It's just that, you know, these were people who. Um, you could not like you think about how you are with your friends, right? Yeah. You hang out with your friends in college, right? Like mm. on the weekends. You go about your lives on the weekdays. When you were a high school student, you see your friends during the school day, and for the most part, like you know, maybe you go out to eat after class, but then you go home and you have a different, you know, more private life. It's mm. not like that in the Marine Corps. You, for the most part, are twenty four seven. At least during the initial phases, when you're junior Marines living in the barracks, you're like twenty four seven with these people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and, you can't, there's no escape. <laughs> no. Was that your was that your guys' experience too? Absolutely. Yes. No matter what, I would say. Well, I never made it past E4, right? So I was basically junior marine throughout, and I always lived in the barracks. Never got married. Didn't move out. So yes, who you were with is who you were with, and that was it. And you know, I remember sharing three three guys to a room. No matter what, like in a way, they became your escape, you know, like you got to know so many details about these like individuals that you could recite them even now, four years yeah. after, two years after. Yeah. And I love the point where you like get and you like you get that homie, like your barracks, like your roommate and shit. And like you get to the point where you guys are like comfortable as fuck around each other and like just know fucking everything. You hang out together, you go fucking chow together, you fucking work together and shit. Like you're just yeah. always hanging out. Like after work, you go out all fucking base to the fucking bar get some fucking drinks and shit together like like that type of homie and like that type of like yeah like brother like that the shit the closest like, thing that, i could relate it to is know. siblings yeah it's yeah. it's kind of crazy in that aspect like we all go around calling each other brother but like it actually feels like they're actually your siblings yeah how yeah. much time you spend together 
Yeah, I felt adopted. I felt adopted at times because, you know, Evan's mom was like sending me food and sending me socks and like <laughs> like sending me stuff. And um, I remember she was like, make sure he gets this Subway gift card. Yeah, yeah. Subway <laughs> gift card, like Cheesecake Factory, like send it like, let's go yeah. go treat your guys, like go treat yourselves. Yeah, um, a Cheesecake Factory gift card. Remember she was like, you know, you and Lucas go to go out to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was our spot, dude. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, you, you and then um, Lupercio specifically, like I, you know, I'm forever indebted to him. And he's, you know, uh, yeah. definitely a brother to me. And um, <clears throat> you know, he took he took me home multiple, like took me to his place like multiple times to spend time with his family. And his family is absolutely fucking phenomenal. You know, they they welcomed me with open arms. Like uh, like one Christmas I was there that I even dressed up like Santa Claus, like to fool like the kids in the family because there was one there was one guy in the family um that would always that would always be Santa Claus. But you know, the kids kind of caught on. So with me being there, I was able to like, you know, fucking put on my pimp walk with all my fucking Santa get up, like a big bag of toys and like, you know, had these kids in my lap and I just bullshit these kids and stuff. You know, they're like, why are you so tan, Santa? And I was like, well, I spent the off season in the Bahamas. Like, that's, like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just, and be yeah, able- I remember you going to, what did they call that when we got Liberty in uh, comm school? There was a word for it when you got to like leave and go like, um, like off base for the weekend. Uh, well, it was off base limo, but it was like by the mile radius, right? Didn't they call it by the? Yeah, it's like a certain mile. I mean, it was just it was just limo. I thought or weekend. Yeah. Restricted limo. Was it? Was it just restricted limo? Nah, I maybe I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, whatever Somebody's... it was, I remember you used to come back and you had such a good time. And and shout out to Lepercio. He. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I can't remember. I came back and I was like negative like nine hundred dollars in my bank account because we spent I like remember. I remember we spent I like four days. I, like we spent like three or four nights in a row like at a strip club like in L.A. When you came back and told me all that, remember I had to pay for your tailoring? Yeah. <laughs> we had a, we, we, I think we had a blues inspection. Do you remember how much it was to get blues tailored? It was like $7 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you we had that van. Broke. Remember you had the van that pulled up that would take yeah. your shit and do it for you. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I was fucking, that was broke, broke. Um, And I forgotten uh, that I was picking up like PFC. So I needed to have, my shit needed to have like PFC stripes on it. And I was like, mosquito wings on it and i was like god damn it so i fucking yeah. i was like i was like, i had no money <laughs> so, <laughs> so evan fucking did, got my i think you did we did haircuts too we did haircuts and dry cleaning that day we did both i probably held it against <laughs> you too I was, I, was, I was so miserable and cruel at that point in my military career but you know what's interesting like the point that you're making is you know people i think have this impression that the marine corps makes you um again, for lack of a better expression, like a tougher person. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess in some sense, it made me a more durable and realistic person. But in, you know, in the opposite sense, it made me so much more affectionate. It made me so much more um, able to tell people how I felt. Like, I didn't, in the normal course of affairs, tell, like, my friends from home that I love them or very rarely did, like, they cry to me or... Um, disclose some of the really sort of like deep and existential things that my military friends did so when people ask me like you know like how it affected me emotionally i would say that it made me like more vulnerable i mean i've always been a very very vulnerable emotionally expressive person i see chris is like recoiling at these words because he's <laughs> probably not this way but you know i know feel <laughs> yeah but that labs really did, like i remember like the way Lepercio would hug me and tell me he loved me and like yeah. just 
you know, the way that 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 happened. And again, oh, no, dude, I, I, I tell my homies I love them all yeah. the fucking time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. All the yeah. time. I think I think yeah. you, you got love the homies. Yeah. Love the fucking homies. Love the <laughs> yeah. homies. But all right. So you talked about when you're in boot camp and how you're always like nervous about the next thing that happens. So like, what at what point in your career were you like, yeah, I kind of I kind of like this shit. At no point. Never. Never even- <laughs> what? <laughs> no, <laughs> bullshit. No, listen, I'll, I'll tell you, like, um, you know, no poli- uh, mm-hmm. politically and ideologically, I didn't really align with um, the military ethos. Um, and, I, and I always found myself, you know, intellectually running up against what I was being told. Um, ethically. What do uh, you mean by that? Like, what do you mean like, the military ethos? Um. I guess what I mean is that I wasn't a, I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about being a part of the category of like United States Marine, like that, that label didn't matter to me as much as the relationships did that I was, that I was being involved in. Like, I think the main reason, and and I tell this to people and they think it's ridiculous. Like, well, why did you join the military? The only thing I had in my mind, literally, the only thing I had in my mind was like, I want to go to Paris Island. I want to see what it's like. And I want to, um, achieve this i mean that sounds ridiculous for uh you know a mature you know professional with a graduate degree who's got 10 years in the workforce that uh, like a ridiculous way to think but that's honestly what i was thinking you know i didn't in any real sense have like an ideological or um you know ethical commitment to the marine corps and then the the most staggering realization was that wow you know recruit training is done now i gotta do this for another four years (laughs) you know and it's like And, and like the thing that sustains you is like the relationships that you have with people. And sometimes there are fun things to do. Um, so, you know, telling jokes, um, meeting new people from, I mean, I've never been out of New Jersey in my life for, um, you know, longer than a week. Um, and I probably spent less than a month in New Jersey during that, that five-year experience. And I was meeting people from all over the world. So um, so you should have been a reservist is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, I should have been, but that wouldn't have helped me accomplish my goal of untethering myself from the um, from the late capitalist uh, competitive system from the workforce. Um, so but so you said earlier that your only goal was to go to Paris Island, but reservists would have suit you fine. But you had another goal. It was to get out of whatever system you felt trapped in. Yeah, you. I don't know if you were on when we were talking about that originally, but you know, like I, I think one of the reasons why I joined the Marine Corps, one of the main reasons was that I was looking for an excuse that would be palatable to other people and that would be kind of irrefutable, and that they that they you know really couldn't criticize. You know, um, an excuse to an excuse that was impenetrable to to leave behind all of this stuff that I had you know achieved and acquired, and the military was kind of that. It was like who can you know, who can say to somebody, you're making a foolish decision by joining the, the military. It's just not something that people often say. So I think that was my way of protecting myself from criticism when I decided I had had enough of the, the professional workforce and just wanted to do something different. And then the other thing I said to Lucas was that, you know, I had always had this sense that um, I was in a lot of ways um, sort of inadequate and incapable of achieving substantial things. And so Paris Island was this... Um, I had this reified image of Paris Island in my mind as like, this is like the ultimate thing that if you can achieve this, you are like an adult, you are like a substantial person. You are you know? a man, right. you are a man. And how do you, how do you feel now? Like, do you feel like you've achieved everything that it was you set out to achieve? Uh, do you, I, I know that you said you're still struggling with feeling like you're 
an adult now, um, you know, is there any other steps that you think you should take or do you think you've achieved everything that you set out to achieve and now you can move on with your, your life? That's such a good question because I think that that's something that I think about every single day. Um, and if, if the Marine Corps, if, if the entire process of deciding to join the Marine Corps and then actually going through with it has taught me anything, it's that, you know, I don't need to live with grand expectations of myself for so long. I, I was deluded into believing that I had to achieve things that would be, um, you know, impressive to other people. And, and, you know, you know, let me not be fake here. Like there is still a lot of that involved in my persona, but I'm, I'm far more committed to doing things that bring me like aesthetic pleasure that bring me like, you know, intellectual fulfillment, you know, that may not be financially rewarding, but that, that, that to me feel more substantial than having a good job and achieving these markers that are supposed to be correlated with success in, you know, in our contemporary society. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And honestly, and like the, I feel like that success, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, man. No, you didn't cut me off. Um, I feel like that this whole like idea of success, like is like a social construct that we don't have to necessarily adhere to. As long as you are happy doing whatever it is that you are being uh, like, feel that is fulfilling, who, who's to say otherwise you know nobody else runs your life and you're at the end of the day you're the person that has to look themselves in the mirror and say damn i you know i feel good about myself and yeah. you know whether it's financially fulfilling or um you know whatever that's a that's a bonus it lets you live yeah. uh, a life that's less worrisome less like you know oh, i don't know where this is going to come from but it doesn't mean that you know you should get or sacrifice your um, your values, your ideals, what you, what makes you, you. Yeah. That, and that, that's something that, that, um, that's something that actually the Marine Corps taught me, like the entire experience, realizing that what you desire is next to never what you're actually going to receive, you know, taught right. me to, you know, to be more insisting about, you know, how I want to spend my time, you know, what I want to do with my, with my days. Like I get, you know, I get so much enjoyment. Like Lucas and I, we probably don't talk as much as we did when we were in the Marine Corps, but like, I mean, definitely not. We were roommates for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I get so much enjoyment out of talking. We talk a lot about Shakespeare. We talk yes. about journalism. We talk about writing. We talk about academia. You know, those are the conversations that I want to fill my life with. But for so many, for so many years, like the, the, you know, in my young adulthood, those were ancillary. I thought that those were things that I could do when I had free time mm -hmm. um, from you know, a competitive member of society who was, you know, trying to obtain a job. And, and I mean, Lucas has seen my apartment. I live in one small room, yeah. you know, and this is more than enough for me. He sleeps on the floor sometimes. I sleep like on the floor. Yeah. A real fucking warrior monk. Hey, it's no, I've got I've, in I've, the fucking jungle, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, just just like a good sergeant, I gave the corporal my bed. When yeah. <laughs> I did, Chris. I slept on the floor, man. Yeah. So I mean, but I think you bring up a good point. And, and when you were kind of talking about it, I had just finished um, A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway. And uh, I think if anyone is, I think veterans especially um, are interested in, in really getting into literature and stuff and uh, someone that can really uh, talk to you in a way in which you can understand. And, and, and if you read it and kind of really interpret and interpret it in a way of just like raw emotions and, and kind of really compare it to your own personal experiences in the military, I think um, 
I think Hemingway will really speak to you, but like kind of like Hemingway's books usually take a, like a course over like a couple days, right? Or, you know, maybe a couple of months, like they're not, their novels are not of spanning over years. And uh, it's usually you have a macho man who's gone through some very traumatic experience or is currently going through a traumatic experience and and he usually falls in love the most powerful passion of all right people people argue that love can transcend you know time and space because that's how powerful of an emotion it is right um and so you you throw you throw all those metaphors in there for the basically the inner turmoil that that the veterans go through on a a normal basis and and how like you could take this thing we can we we really value time and we value these these emotions and stuff and in the rawest forms of them because of the experiences that we had like we our time was fucking from the moment we woke up to like every time i wiped my ass in the marine corps like my time was accounted for even even on liberty (laughs) like even on liberty like you had for us our unit like we had to write a fucking liberty plan what we were going to do hour to hour basis like over the weekend like your your whole life is dictated and and finally you get to a point once you get out and i'm i'm kind of speaking personally here i don't want to generalize and i don't want to speak for you guys but like for me is like when i got out i could finally express myself you know like you you can't really express yourself in the military you you know especially with uniforms you can't even get as many tattoos as you want or piercings or whatever whether it's biologically like by whether it's biohacking or whether it's um like speaking your mind or or just having time to do things that you enjoy you know um you don't really have a whole lot of that so when you get out and you kind of like you're in this new sphere you you you're you're in a the, the clean slate basically um, I personally pursued a lot of the hobbies I, I kept telling myself I was going to do, you know, it's because I could and, I, you know, it, it, to do these things and, and to improve my well-being that way by, you know, I was like, fuck, the whole time I was in the Marine Corps, I was like, man, I really love to collect comic books and I could fucking talk so much shit about collecting comic books. And then finally I got out. I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to fucking do it now. Um, I have time to sit down and actually read them. I have, you know, I could pursue this passion. And then obviously it, it led into just getting more into just literature in general. And, um, you know, the fucking the snowball effect after that. But like you're able to express yourself and you value these little things. You value the little things and you're and you value the fact that you're able to feel these things and that have no restraints on them. Yeah. Yeah, the the. the well valuing the little things i mean what i try to be conscious of is how my appreciation of things wears off over time um i know when i first got out of the marine corps i wanted to do everything that i couldn't do while i was in there you know i wanted to read every book savor every moment um talk to every person um and you know as time goes on you forget what that experience was like and you start to take for granted the like quotidian aspects of life or the 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 seemingly insignificant aspects of life that like really amount to your entire biography, you know? And so, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. Like I just, um, and, and my last year in the Marine Corps, because I was kind of untethered from the unit because they were preparing for a deployment. So I got a lot of alone time and, you know, I, I was getting BAH because I'd gotten promoted to Sergeant. So I had that little apartment over by the, the Koala mountain range by, um, yeah. so my last year was kind of preparation for, you know, civilian life yeah. insofar as I was like reading a lot. I was in my apartment a lot when they needed something from the vault, they would like call me and I would like, you know, run back. But yeah, like I, um, like, you know, one thing that I think the Marine Corps instills in you 
towards the end, especially is that like you hit the ground running, like, you know, as intense as you were in, in the military, you have to be just as intense in life. And I suppose that ethos is effective for some people who, um, are interested in having that kind of life where they, you know, um, continue to acquire things and continue to, uh, achieve markers of success. Um, you know, for me, it's been kind of, um, the opposite. I've wanted to like slow down and interesting. Well, yeah, because yeah. I'm so, like I'm, I'm about to be 40. Like I'm, I remember when my father was 40, you know what right. I mean? And he's now 70. So like, I'm at the point in my life where I'm, uh, listen, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not envisioning my demise, but like, I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, <laughs> there are some things that I have to do now that if I don't do them now, I probably won't ever do them. And yeah, right. I, I like, I like that when that statement that hit the ground running, because I think that's like, I think that's what the Marine Corps has done for me. Like you said, like you're like starting to like go to, to a different path. And like I think I might be the opposite. I think it's like yeah. I fucking I see a, like a challenge. Like, oh, I fucking see a challenge. I want to fucking do Absolutely. it. And I think, um, I know, I, yeah, I don't see a, like a challenge like a, like a, acquiring something like uh, next summer. Me and one of my buddies from the Marine Corps, fucking shout out, fucking Mitch Fulton. We're gonna hike up in Michigan, like twenty miles up in there, and just camp out like. By the fucking Wood yeah. River and fish fucking for like a motivated. week straight. No fucking cell phones, nothing. We're already like packing our gear and shit. Like just some like fucking like man shit. Like like that. Like that. Like those goals is like is what I'm like shooting for. Like, you're gonna are you gonna do it with like your that. son like second? Dude, I yeah. I'm gonna fucking take my son. I'm take my son. I'm teach my son about like like camping and shit. I want to teach him stuff. I want to like make him like a fucking. I don't know. I don't. I don't fucking. I don't know what the word is. But a man. Like, a man. Like yeah. I think like I think that's. And it's like a, a big part of what we have to do. It's like we, we have to like make ourselves uncomfortable, like being uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that builds like friendships and builds bonds. I think like the Marine Corps brings us together so much. It's because, I mean, there was points where we're hiking 15 miles. We're fucking have 80 pounds on our fucking back and our fucking rifle and everything. And you're right next to your fucking homie. And you know, after the fucking hike, you're going to go back and you're going to grab a fucking six pack and you're going to get fucking trash and you're going to watch Netflix pack? or something. Or, yeah, you know, a six pack. I never saw a six pack in that yeah. barracks room. I saw yeah. like, I saw a in right, a bottle, in a bottle, all right? But on the, on, on the flip side of that, on the flip side, I, I would actually, so for me personally, hit, hitting the ground running was like a bad thing. Um, especially, especially when I got out. Yeah. So, like I was, I feel very, very fortunate. I mean, it's unfortunate for a lot of people. I mean, I have said it on this podcast before, but like, um, I feel very fortunate that like the whole world did shut down because I think I needed it when I got out. I definitely needed like, yeah, I agree with that. Cause I was right about to do no, it. I, definitely agree I had, with that. yeah, I had jobs lined up. Like I was like, let me just fucking go, 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 go. Like, let me, I just need to make sure all my shits together, all my fucking ducks in a row and I can go and just hit the ground running and, and not skip a beat. But the pandemic, like, forced me to pause. It forced me to kind of, like, really assess myself and um, and really uh, delve, like, deeper into myself to kind of find out of, like, okay, like, like things I could fix. You know, you, you focus on yourself a little bit more. You focus on your experience. You're able to reflect and really, in, in an essence, digest. You're able to digest. So for, like, a whole year, pretty much. I mean, I was working and stuff still and going to school, but that wasn't until I got out in early 2020. So I basically had that whole summer, um, like spring and summer to kind of just like digest everything. Like I had no obligation to get a job. Money was coming in because of unemployment. Um, 
like I knew I was going to go to school in the fall. Like that was already settled. Like in the mean, so in the meantime, I just had to just to kill time. I had nothing but time, which was a good thing and a bad thing. But in, for in the good thing was the fact that I was able to really just digest my entire experience and kind of try to find my footing on like where to go next and kind of who like figure out like who I want to be um like now um but I think that's what I was that's kind of like the point I was trying to allude to like when I brought up Hemingway and stuff is like um I think a part of things like Evan like to your point where you're you're, you're trying to fill your time now with things that you just really enjoy personally and I, I I do I do the same thing and I think the reason I think the reason for that is that we're able to you know like once, like I said earlier, like, like value these things differently, but, uh, Jesus Christ, I just totally forgot my fucking point. It just totally escaped me. Yeah, no, you, and I don't begrudge anybody their, their competitive spirit. Um, but I just know that what causes me to feel stress is, um, the expectation that I achieve certain things, the, um, and thankfully, I don't live with that expectation anymore. I mean, the the circumstances in my life are such that, you know, like, you know, I'm not, you know, I haven't received like, um, you know, a large sum of money to pursue my academic interests. But, you know, BAH is a liberating thing. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it, it enables you to live somewhat comfortably while not feeling the profession or the, the, the profession, the pressure of the professional workforce while you pursue your personal interests. Like that's, you know, that's, that's kind of important to me. Um, and I think one of the, um, I assume, I don't know that this is the case for everybody, but I assume that it's very stressful for a 19, 20, 21 year old who's leaving the Marine Corps to be told that she or he has to do these things within the next year in order to be considered a successful or a productive uh, member of the community. Like, I can't imagine how much that, you know, how much stress that might cause somebody to feel. Yeah, I, yeah, I so, think yeah, I think well, that that's that's the kind of a good and bad thing. So I feel like you, you should always have expectations regardless, and I think that's like a natural like drive for like like men. Like that's like a, a thing. Like men want to like conquer the next thing. Well, not conquer. That's a fucking word I want to use. But you know what I mean. They want to achieve. They want what? It's like a fucking we're program that way. I just think yeah. that's I, I just think yeah. that's people in general. I think that's a very yeah. um, you know and and you know not not you know not not passing judgment on it um at least not publicly. Um I think that's a very uh American mindset. This this notion that um achievement is intrinsic to uh purpose. Um and it's it's something that I'm I'm struggling against. Look, you have to make certain concessions. Like I can't do the things that I love to do unless I work a little bit because I have to be able to have, you know, a place to live. I have to be able to feed myself. But um, you know, one of the reasons why I don't have a family at this age, I think, is because, you know, my my you know my desire to do things that are, as I've said earlier, aesthetically and intellectually pleasing, kind of you know, outweigh the pressure I feel to, um, to commit to, to a family, you know, and I don't think, and, and, you know, I, like, it's also a very American thing to criticize that mindset. Yeah. You know, it's it's a very, um, I, I can't think of a better way to put it than it's a very sort of like, you know, it's, it's a very, um, you know, typically American ethos that you have to achieve certain things in order to be considered purposeful. Yeah, but uh, I, think I don't lot, think that's I think... an. I don't think that's a. a, a I, I hit on that. I don't think it's an American 
mindset because if we're thinking of if we're looking at like achievement as like and you're you're gonna label as an American fucking that the the Korean like expectations in the family are so fucking much more like the pressure that like foreign exchange students get coming to America by their families holy fuck I had a friend I fucking went to, went to high school with and I forget where she was from but I remember she would like spend all her free time studying and I was like out with my friends playing and shit. I was like how the fuck can you go through your childhood like not hanging out with your friends and shit yeah. and now she's like obviously probably out doing some successful fucking job making fucking millions and i'm here on a fucking podcast well, who's, who's to say who's to say she's happy who's to say she's happy hey, i'm not saying she's bad. i'm not saying it but i'm saying that the, the yeah. like stress yeah but i think a lot of this stuff like roots comes like at the root of it all and like we brought up expectations we we, we brought up like um like kind of like who we wanted to be when we, when we got out and like what we wanted yeah. to do with our time. I think a lot of that stems from like, and this is my point that I forgot. Luckily I fucking wrote it down as soon as I remembered it is <laughs> identity is like, that's like you, you kind of, because you were put through so much and this is how I was going to relate this to Hemingway is because you're put through so much turmoil and stuff like that. Like you kind of discover your, your like identity, like who you really are. Like, um, yeah. so when, but there is sort of like, you're going to kind of go through sort of a crisis when you get out um but at least i think at your core you kind of feel like you you're cap you're still capable like you're like okay this is a new challenge but i've faced challenges before right you kind of have an idea of like who you are as a person and like your limits so you have i think you have a better self-awareness and a better self-identity going into like the civilian life and handling those expectations and um i guess really trying to move on from those achievements and really look forward to what the, what your future achievements are um evan before you like so you're now you're in the fleet right we're going to speak like to you in the fleet you're a little bit older and stuff like that um and like kind of looking forward like put your put yourself back in those boots you know as a, as a fucking lance corporal or as like even as a corporal um and kind of like midway through your career looking towards the end of your career like what are some of your sentiments like what are you what are you thinking about your life i mean obviously everyone's thinking about their life outside of the marine corps yeah. while they're in the marine corps but what what did that look like to you and is it different to, than what you're doing now it's it's all i thought about um all i did from um the moment that i hit the fleet to the moment that i got out was think about coming home um and I, I fully appreciate that some people's experience was much different and that they enjoyed being in the Marine Corps. And, you know, some people even turned it into a career. But for me, I had realized that um, that it wasn't a, a uh, wasn't a good fit. It wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't at all in line with my personality to be a Marine <laughs> Dude, and you were so, one of the and, fucking coolest fucking corporals, bro. I always, always love it when you're fucking around, dude. You're always just cool as shit. Uh, yeah, like, I remember. Well, I mean, because I mean, that's the only way that you can like really survive is just being, you know, like why hit the freestyle, and, hit the freestyle, yeah, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Ranky bankrolls. <laughs> yeah, I, but I remember from very early on feeling very uncomfortable in that institution, and this goes back to the point that I made earlier that ever since childhood I have felt, you know, um, sort of. Uh, just different than everybody else. I have, you know, felt um, kind of alienated and um, lonely, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the Marine Corps, in a lot of ways, um, exacerbated that sentiment because 
as I mentioned earlier, like I didn't expect all the things that came after recruit training. So I was hurled into this profession and I didn't know anything about it. And like the quietest kept secret, you know, in third battalion, third Marines is probably that Lance Corporal, Corporal and Sergeant Weiss really wasn't good at his job. Like he just didn't know what to do. Like he put a radio in front of me and like, it's bullshit. You, know. <laughs> you were good at your no, job. No, no. I mean, there were, there were things that I was good at, but for the most part, I mean, I used to marvel at people who could figure this stuff out. Just, you know, like you, uh, Lucas, I remember in comm school, like there were things that you internalized and you were able to do that. I was like, when did they teach that? How does he do that? How does he know that there are things that people knew intuitively that, you know, I couldn't grasp. And that was my experience throughout the, the, the Marine Corps. And you said something very prescient one time um, or very insightful that that I still think about this to this day you said your age is your rank you know a lot of people treated me differently because I was older I mean there were gunnery sergeants who were younger than me so I think they felt the pressure to kind of um, uh, overlook things that I wasn't good at yeah. you know and I, I remember getting out of the Marine Corps and feeling like in a lot of ways I wish I would have done better I wish I would have tried more um, or tried harder and knew more but um, why why is that why do you um, feel that way I guess I, just I, turned into a therapy session, but yes, please. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a good question. I mean, it, 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 you know, you want to be respected for what you did. And I look back on a lot of experiences in which I just didn't know what I was doing or I was lazy or I fell asleep in the field. And there are probably thousands of photographs to attest to that. And I look back on my, <laughs> I look back on like the entire span of my Marine Corps and there were far more incidents of me, you know, not being able to do my job effectively than there were me being able to do my job effectively. And the truth is like, there were times where I just didn't see the point and I didn't care. You know, as I said, at, after I completed that first you know, huge milestone uh, of recruit training, everything else was just kind of like, I've got to endure this and then just finally get out, you know? And, um, you know, I put up appearances to avoid getting into trouble. You know, there were, you know, um, you know, plenty of instances in which people saw through it, but, but more often than not, I kind of, uh, I think, you know, coasted by. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, if you were to ask me, like, are you proud to have been a Marine? I would say, like, I'm proud to have endured some pretty difficult circumstances. I'm proud to have, um, you know, uh, you know, demonstrated that I have the at least you're fucking proud. I, at least you're I have fucking the proud. Ability to get through it, but there were like, you know, yeah, and I'm and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. I'm just yeah, trying to be yeah. honest. And you know, it's there were a lot of like I was so thoroughly impressed by the people around me. You being one of them, and you knew Lucas that you were like intuitively good at this MOS that we were assigned. Like you knew that you knew what to do. Like you were setting up HF antennas without any practice the first time we went to the field. You know, and you know probably weren't recognized as much as you should have been for it. But like. You know, I, I, and again, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. I'm just being honest that I never felt as though I was very good at the job. You know, there, I, I, I often think about this and I say this to myself, like I may not have been a good Marine, but I was a good friend to a lot of Marines. And that's what mattered to me that like, I was sort of, I, I was accountable to the people who um, I considered my intimates. I was, um, you know, a loyal friend. I was, um, a reliable confidant. I was somebody. That's a fucking Marine. That sounds like a Marine to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know about you. Yeah. That sounds like a Marine. That sounds like Marine qualities. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying that you served honorably throughout your entire Marine Corps career. I, yeah. I would say I served honorably other than the times that I was asleep <laughs> on video watch. <laughs> <laughs> and there may or not be photographic evidence of these. Um... I definitely have it. I definitely have a lot of it. <laughs> 
That's, that's a good shit. Yeah, you know? it's, it's tough being 35 and having to stay awake for two days at a time. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny is the 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 image that's that's playing in the back of my mind is Corporal Bartle, who was my senior marine. He's the person who um who introduced me to Lima Company when I, I was love this. I love this story. He trained me. Well, I don't know what story you're expecting me to tell. All no, the one, the one with the HF antenna, the sloping V. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were gonna tell that one. Well, I'll tell that story. But but this kid could just figure things out. Like he had these. Like he he had. Um, shout, his, out. Shout, yeah, out shout out, shout out, Andy Bartle, who I talked to the other day. He called me while I was at work. We talked for like a half hour. Um, but he had this ability to just figure things out. He was like you in the sense that he was like you know, uh, technologically adept. Like, and he was also, um, uh, like able to construct things with his hands. Like if we didn't have, um, what are those connectors that we needed? The elbow connectors. Yeah. If he did, if we didn't have an elbow connector, he could like furnish one out of like the, the, <laughs> the materials in his main pack. This kid was incredible, you know? And, and I wasn't like that. And so this was like, like the city meets the country when him and I were, um, were paired up to to provide calm to uh to Lima Company. Like but, like the Polly Shore movie. Was the was the Polly Shore movie where he does you know, now or something? No, no, the one where he uh he goes to the ranch. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not uh, sure. But it was if, if it if it was an instance in which somebody with no technological <laughs> or like, you know, uh, um ability to construct things meets somebody who can like, you know, build a radio out of a milk carton, then yeah, then I'm yeah. Sure the analogy. <laughs> But yeah, no, the first time we went to the field, this is the story that, that Lucas wants me to tell. The first time we went to the field, um, uh, if this is not the story that you're, uh, you're thinking of, let me know. But the first time we went to the field, or the first time I went to the field with Lima Company, um, we had to set up HF Com, um, which for the listeners who are unindoctrinated is just like a really austere form of communication that allows you to uh, contact another unit um, you know, with a lower likelihood that you're going to be intercepted. Like it's not via a satellite or a ground signal. It's via like a, like an air signal, I guess. Right. Well, yeah, it's um, a longer, and it's longer distance. Longer distance so it's like for yeah. 50, 50 plus miles. Something like that. <sighs> yeah. But he, he tells me like, okay, well, you know, go construct this antenna. And so I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to help me. This is my first time in the field. Like I've never had to do this outside of the classroom. So we're in the middle of, where were we like bellows or, um, Kahukas, we were in one of those training areas and I'm spending hours and hours and hours trying to construct this antenna and um, all by myself, like he won't help me or he's offering like really minimal assistance. And then in the end, he like after like however many hours of me toiling over this antenna, he's like, all right, man, you could, you could, you could stop now. And um, I was like, uh, you know, I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. And like, this is literally like an entire day or two in the field. I couldn't figure out why the thing wasn't working. And he knew the whole time that I was facing the antenna in the exact wrong direction and just didn't <laughs> want to tell me. And so like, you know, like literally the opposite direction that it was supposed to be facing. Like I was away from the battalion, away from the unit that I was supposed to be communicating with and I'm building this antenna. And I mean, is that the story you were thinking of? Yeah, yeah, that was, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, that's a good teaching. Oh no, no, that's not what you're thinking of. You were thinking of Korea. No, I was thinking of that one. I was thinking of that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was another time where um, uh, I set up an antenna in, um, I think we were in Korea. I set up an antenna and um, I kept trying to communicate with him and I would call him on alternative forms of communication to see if he had his antenna up because uh, 
um, because the communication wasn't going through or whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it up. I got it up. And I was like, oh man, I must be doing something wrong on this end because this guy knows so much more than me and, and the, the, the antenna isn't working. And so like, finally, maybe like a week later when we're both back, um, wherever we went to after that, he's like, oh yeah, I would just take it down at like 12 noon or <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I was like, I was trying to communicate with nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love, you know, I love that's fucked up, man. That's fucked up. Yeah. I love good calm jokes though. Like good calm stories, story like yeah. Yeah. They're, they're fucking great dude i remember actually one of my first like memories of like korea is when you guys landed after india company had been there for a little bit and i remember it's like standing next to your like gunny and stuff and you guys had like lost an skl or something had like misplaced an skl and you fucking panicking and shit who me for me when i used to panic <laughs> yeah dude i mean that was so that's the whole lap like that story where we almost fist fought i'll tell that story right now the oh, story yeah. the story in which we almost fist fought is is about like lost gear so uh so no it wasn't about lost gear it was about stolen gear stolen okay hidden, me gear. Hidden, hidden gear hidden gear okay well to me it was lost because i like myself and and thomas morrison uh represent shout out shout out yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ is right. Uh, like shout out fucking Morrison, love you, homie. Um, so we we you know if you're in a line company, so if you're a radio operator and you're an infantry company, like you basically have the best of both worlds. You don't really have to do all the things grunts do, like all the stupid shit, and you don't really have to do all the stupid shit that the that the S shop does, like the communication shop does. So you kind of just get to pick and choose like where you want to be at any given time. So. Morrison and I probably to get out of some stupid India company bullshit. We show up to the shop, right? We show up to the shop and I can just see fucking, I see Evan in just like, you know, boots and utes pacing like a madman, like pacing like a fucking madman around, around the shop. And we, and we ask like, uh, we ask like some of the other guys that are there. We're like, some of the other company guys were there too. We're like, so what's going on? And like, and then I think one, I can't even remember who hid the laptop. I just know that we did not hide the laptop. So somebody had hid a, like a, a laptop and, and fucking, a a, yeah, G <laughs> someone hit a GTAC. And so Evan was like, Bartle wasn't even there, but Bartle gave you the order to, to fucking, um, to get the accountability of all the gear. And so you had, so you had to let them know that all the gear was up and you didn't want to tell them that a fucking GTAC was missing. So that was like, they're going to PTA. Yeah, yeah, because you guys are right about to go on a field. I think everyone was right about to go on a field. That's probably why we were there. Um, but uh, so you're like pacing around the comm shop back and forth, back and forth. And at this point, I'm just everyone's kind of like cracking jokes, but I gotta get mine. I gotta get mine. So I started poking the bear, like just start fucking, hey, yo, why is where, where's your laptop, buddy? Where's the G tag? You know, just <laughs> like stupid shit like that. Like, hey, can I borrow your G tag? You know, why is like stupid like. Stupid shit like that. And it just got to the point where he just snapped on me. Snapped on me and was like, he's like, if you want to fucking talk shit, we can fucking take this outside. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna say no to this. And I was like, fuck, yeah. I was like, I was like, fuck you. I was like, I'll drop blouse. Drop blouse. We both went outside. We we squared up. We literally squared up and then fucking like Arco, shout out Arco, shout Arco out broke it up. Yeah. shout out charisma. So Arco and Crazy fucking um fucking start running out you know they're two little short asses fucking <laughs> start running out and they're like getting between us and they're like what yeah. the fuck are you guys doing your brothers and all this shit and we're like no i want to fucking kick his ass like we just want to fight right now uh, yeah I, I was under the impression until two minutes ago that you you stole my g-tac i didn't know that <laughs> you weren't involved in that 
I'll have to ask Maury. I don't remember stealing it. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember because I was po- because I was um, like antagonizing you so much that you believed that I had stolen it. That's, that's probably, probably what it was. Yeah. I mean, that just speaks to like the the intensity and like, you know, when I say that I wasn't suited to be a Marine, I mean that my, um, you know, my anxiety was on oh, shit. The, the police. Oh, hey, Pat. <laughs> I'm back, guys. So you say yeah, that that your anxiety, your anxiety yeah, was I'm, like. My anxiety was on go from the moment that I like stepped foot on Paris Island to the moment that I got out on, you know, January, whatever, 2021. And that was one of those instances in which um, I remember the details pretty clearly. Bartle was in corporal's course. And this was um, this was actually the preparation for the field op in which the antenna story took place. And I remember oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we were going to PTA or something. He's like, yeah, you got to get all this stuff ready because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in corporal's course. And um you know, I mean, I look back on that stuff now and I'm like, I don't care. Like, why did I care so much about that? But in the moment, it was just, you know, you fear. Like, And that's another aspect of the Marine Corps that I was hoping to, to discuss. Um, that, you know, one of the things that you don't really shake is the uh, constant cloud of, of uh, dread of punishment. Oh, yeah. 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 And and mass punishment, too. God damn it. It's the worst. It's like, I didn't even do shit wrong, but I'm still getting punished for it. Like, I remember feeling, like, um, incredibly nervous every time I walked into the PX or into, like, the food court or um, into... Just chow hall, like, yeah, anywhere. Chow hall, yeah. pick a place, you know? And I was telling some friends at work the other day that I think my tendency to, like, um, to over-prepare, to be meticulous about, like, like I iron four outfits every night for work the next day. Like I, you know, unconsciously, these are habits that I developed in the Marine Corps to avoid, um, you know, squabbles with my peers or to avoid being, you know, punished, uh, you know, by um, a higher ranking person that I just, you know, haven't really shaken. And I think that's kind of like um, something that takes a while to wear off. And, and you don't, you're not always like acutely aware of it. You're just like, after a year or two living on a Marine Corps base, you just, um, naturally fear this kind of low level of anxiety or you naturally feel this kind of low level of anxiety everywhere you go because you know if I mean pick a uniform infraction or if you're not you know properly shaven or if you one thing that I often forgot to do was to remove my cover when I walked into the PX if I was in like well either either camis or civilian attire and it's like you know, I'm not sure if that's the case with other branches, but I was very hypersensitive to that sort of stuff then. And it's it's definitely been a part of my life as a civilian a little bit. Really? So do you. OK, so I, I obviously wholeheartedly agree. I experienced everything remotely the same. It's you're constantly walking on eggshells, like whatever you do. And I, I would actually compare that to an experience. I think I talked maybe a little bit briefly about this on one of the episodes, but like first aren't you remember first our moon? Shout yeah. out to the first arm moon. He definitely doesn't listen to this shit, but he's a fucking G. Um, but I, he, he was such an approachable guy and him and I had such a great relationship. But every time I shit you not, if it was his first time seeing me for the day, every time I'd see him, I can just see his fucking eyes do like this RoboCop scan, like just looking for infractions, just looking for infractions before we even get into a conversation before I was like, yeah, I get past like, oh, good morning, first sergeant or whatever. It's like, as soon as I say good morning, first sergeant, it's like before he can even like acknowledge, acknowledge my existence or (laughs) or even or just no, just acknowledge me as a person, I guess, rather than just as a Marine. Um, Yeah. 
which I get it. You know, it's like, it's the job. It's part of the job. But um, because of that experience, like someone I trusted, you know, or still trust this day, like with, with my life and, and, and more than that, um, like to, to even have that experience with, with someone like that, that's someone you consider that, that, that close to you and you're constantly on edge because that's just part of the nature of the environment. Yeah. And actually I remember going back to, I went to, um, MCRD San Diego so I live very close to there. And I remember I went there to play tennis with one of my buddies recently and stepping back on that base, I got hit with like that dread, that anxiety again. I was like, yo, no way. Like I'm out now I'm free. But like I was waiting because I'm a hairy motherfucker, right? I grow hair very quickly. And I remember so many times where I would just, I wouldn't shape for one day. I wouldn't shape for one day and I'd go over the PX commissary whatever and get my ass blasted. And I'd be like, this is so stupid. I got people who don't shave for five fucking days. They don't grow hair. Like fuck you did you. it. You did it to yourself. Oh man. So, and now like going back there with a full beard, nobody says anything. I'm just like, yo, this is just feels weird. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just, it's not, it's unnatural. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting experience. Like every time I go to the commissary to go get food, or anything like that. It's just like, or cheap gas. It's just like, damn. Cheap gas. <laughs> so, well, so dude, very... in California, this gas is fucking expensive. Luke oh, yeah. Attest to that yeah. now. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucking expensive. Here. But Evan, Evan to, to, to kind of further your point, um, so you say it kind of still affects, like, how does it still, like, that anxiety, yeah. that, that walking on eggshells, the, yeah. the, the, the fear of punishment, like, apply it to kind of like a world life situation like give us an example yeah, i don't i yeah i don't mean that i'm 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 acutely afraid like that, paranoid um, yeah obviously yeah, I'm, i don't mean that i'm paranoid that i'm gonna get punished for walking out of my apartment in like, right you know, yeah like you, you're wearing a fucking cover inside right now oh, devil. Yeah, wearing a belt come on now <laughs> don't think i didn't notice <laughs> you know it, it it happens in these you know um really subtle ways like I remember when we would prepare for a field op or prepare for an inspection or prepare for a deployment or um, just, you know, whatever activity was about to take place. Like um, some people would be able to go out and enjoy their last couple of days of, as it were, freedom. Um, whereas I would be in my barracks room ironing, um, counting my gear, packing my gear. And when I would get to the field, I wouldn't want to unpack my gear. I had this intense anxiety about, you know. Um, about, I was the same fucking way, man. I, yeah, I hated, and, hated that shit. And You're and I had this. Pogue. Why? Well, I, dude, I, I, I hate. Get, you're gonna I lose it, dude. I, I can't lose it. I pay for it. I'm gonna get yelled at. Dude, if you lost gear, that was like the worst fucking thing ever. He'll come back from field up and like, oh son of a bitch, I'm missing a fucking piece of fucking gear. I have to fucking tell my staff sorry to get How fucking much? blasted for this fucking shit. Yeah, I I, it's like I couldn't even. I spent eighty dollars on the fucking. I couldn't relate. And sometimes we'd be hiking and I couldn't even focus on the activity or I'd be expected to like set up a, a radio or an antenna and I'd be like, you know, distracted by the prospect of like losing gear or um, having forgotten something. And I think the way that that translates, and this is something that they emphasize from the moment you get to recruit training. I mean, like gear accountability is like, you know, the, the thing. And so the way that manifests in my daily life these days is um, I moved it out of the way, but I have this apparatus where I hang all my clothing for the uh, upcoming week. And um, I, you know, I, I can't fall asleep some nights unless I've ironed like three, four outfits. If I don't set out the, you know, the underwear, the socks, the shoes, um, if I don't have the ability to just wake up in the morning, brush my teeth, grab my clothes and go to the gym, then I can't, you know, fall asleep the night before. And that's what just- that's just one minor example of how the anxiety. Take, take, a, take a 10 milligram 
edible. I'm curious. I'm not saying this has like a huge impact on my functioning, but it's just an example of how things that become- It sounds so like it because it's become a routine. You know, you, yeah. got your, you got your grunt rolls out for the week, basically. <laughs> yeah, what does this apparatus look like? I'm very curious. Oh, it, it's just a, it's a portable dip bar, but instead of using it for dips, I just put um, a hand club. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, That's nice. fucking nice. awesome. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm the same way. I'm the same way too. Like with my, with my, um, with my fucking like planning, I'm not, I don't plan my outfits out for a week, but like the next day, like my shit's like ready to go. Like it, yeah, it's mine's usually go. hanging on my chair, you know, like I've got the pants folded on the chair and then I got the shirt hanging over top and be like, all right, time to go. Well, yeah, I think that speaks to it, but like also I think one of the side effects that's a probably a positive, um, side effect of, of having to be in that high pressure situation constantly where you feel like, you know, punishment is just around the corner for like the littlest fucking thing. And it's always over the top. That's, that's another caveat I'll throw in there is like, it's the punishment that the punishments never meet the crime. And then there's also a difference between, <laughs> there's also a difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline has purpose and punishment doesn't. So like you have a lot of it turned originally probably started as discipline and then it, and then it turns into punishment. You know, you don't shave yeah. your face next, you know, okay. Because I didn't shave my face instead of just fucking me up in public, which is already embarrassing enough and sending me back to my room or what you're going to make me shave in front of other people with fucking um with hand sanitizer and a rusty ass razor like that, 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 that what you what are you te- what are you teaching me from that besides already fucking publicly humiliating me you know yeah, you're already so, you're just teaching the, everybody else that you're a fucking dick you know yeah. like there is no point there yeah there is there's no extra learning to be occurred i'm not yeah, going but- to you know i'm no more likely to to walk out of my room unshaven because you made me publicly shave with a rusty razor razor as i would with hand sanitizer yeah yeah, shaving cream yeah but i I mean (laughs) but i but i mean um like the positive thing to take away from that um is it makes us really proactive i think i think it is made us extremely proactive like like some of these fucking kids man like because i'm in school like i'm I'm a student yeah because i'm a because i'm a student like a lot of these people are like man i stayed up for fucking 48 hours like finals week blah blah i'm like why why i'm like why did you let it get to that i was like i'm in the same class as you are i have a fucking job i have a family at home that i you know that that i'm with that i have to give time to and i'm still in an i'm fucking finals week i'm cruising i ain't got shit to do but take the test you know and these people are trying to cram in you know like semesters i mean i get it different they're a different age and they have maybe different distractions in their lives but and also you know you're you're conditioned disciplined you know i got discipline in my body but like it's stay but hard I'm a, but i'm able to do these things because yeah. i understand like fuck the, the faster i clean my rifle the faster my gear gets cleaned like the faster i'm able to turn in all these fucking radios the the faster i can and you know the sooner the sooner i can enjoy myself the sooner i can do the things that i want to do so that i think you kind of take that and, and you approach and you, you 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 apply that to to your civilian life it makes us I, proactive i have a little caviar off that though because like because so many people cram for finals week or have all this extra undue stress that i just cannot relate to it makes me less relatable to them like i constantly finding myself having to stop myself from like going off on the girlfriend all the time because she's like oh man i'm so stressed because of this 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 and this i'm like well you could have prevented that last week if you had just studied or you could have just prevented that from like waking up a little bit earlier and it's like I see all these solutions to problems that I just find inherently simple to solve because we've been doing them for four years under much higher stress environments with much greater punishment. 
And now I just find myself like failing to relate to people and their problems that I know I would have had had I not joined the military. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I don't know that um, I don't know that I felt that I was able to solve them any better in the military than I was in the, in the civilian workforce. I felt disorganized a lot in the military and I felt that I, I fluctuated between like intense periods of, of fear and anxiety and like idleness. Um, would you feel, would you call it disorganized or more like disoriented, um, or both? As I said, I think like, you know, I just wasn't from the very beginning, a good fit for the Marine Corps. And I think a lot of it had to do with my age. Like I didn't go through the period of, of indoctrination and acclimation that most people had gone through by the time they were 31 year old Marines. I had just came in at 31. And so for me, it was very much so a shock and, um, and, you know, as a result, every activity, every field up, every even backyard field up that we would do felt like, um, you know, a, a, a calamity. It felt like a really overwhelming experience for me. See, um, I was the complete opposite way. It was completely different for me. It was like, hey, this is a new adventure. Hey, this is where I can finally test all the skills that I've been trying to learn up to this point. And it felt like every single time we went out, I had something, I gained something and took something away from it, something that made me a better Marine or better overall at my job. So it like, I, I never saw anything as like, holy shit, I'm completely unprepared. It's like, okay, well, I didn't get this quite right. Boom, I'm going to do this next time. And I would like, that would be like small little achievements for me that yeah. then turn me into what I like to think is a, what I am today. You yeah. know, yeah, and, and so no, for me, they were all little like learning steps. And I think that's I think that's most people's experience. Um, and and I, I think probably um, ninety percent of the people who go into the Marine Corps at your age um, come out with, you know, that skill set or that um, aspect of their lives having been improved. Um, <laughs> for me, that wasn't the experience. It's just, well, yeah, well, and then I think Aaron brought up a good point also about like the things that you take away from it because of your experiences there. So, so like speaking on your experience as a whole, um, you know, I think we talked, we talked a little bit about sort of like the negative things that we kind of take with some things that we, you know, we have, we struggle with, um, like while we get out, but what are some of the positive things that you're, that oh, you're yeah, I was just actually going to put it to that because I felt like we, we had gone, you know, really yeah. dark. And, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a pleasant experience, but there are like anything else, um, you know, lots of, uh, upside. You know, yeah. Yeah. There's a silver lining to it. Um, I would say that the most important part of the experience for me, um, and I've said this already has been the friendships, um, the ability for me to learn again, um, the way that I had as a child, how to be intimate with people, how to be affectionate towards people, how to be less concerned about um, reputation and appearance and more concerned about, you know, substantively how I treat people. Um, I, I, think, I think that was really important to me. And the other aspect that I think is really understated is that for five years, I was um, to a significant degree untethered from this chaotic, um, you know, technologically obsessed, highly competitive world. And it allowed me to realize um, what my interests are and um, how I wanted to live my life. I knew that I would have to make compromises that it wouldn't always be like in the Marine Corps where you get a check no matter what, and they give you a lot of money if you're um, 
you know, uh, a single sergeant living on his own. I knew it wouldn't be like that, but I knew that there was no way that I could go back to living the way that I had um, before with this um, just ever-present feeling that I wasn't achieving enough um, or with this just obsession with, um, you know, professional achievement and professional success. Um, I really think in boot camp, especially, was I, I was we were, Lucas and I were talking about this recruit training boot camp, whatever you want to call it. Lucas and I were talking about this earlier. That's probably the last experience that any of us will ever have, where our lives are not mediated by technology, entertainment, um, and cell phones. Yeah. And you develop during that experience, during that three month period. I don't know if you guys had this experience, but I I don't recall a period in my life as an adult, or at least not since the advent of cell phones and and you know, the improvement of technology. Um, I don't recall a period in my life in which I was so intensely connected to my own physicality in which I thought as deeply and as um, personally as I did um, and where I felt things, um, what's the word I'm, I'm grasping for? Um, where I had an experience that, was almost like sensuous. It was almost like, um, I remember when uh, you, you, you referenced the rope earlier um, that we had to climb uh, during the O course. And I remember I didn't know how to come down the rope. They remember that, uh, what was that maneuver they taught you to like descend the rope? Whatever it was, I couldn't do it. And I slid down the rope and I tore my hands open. Ooh. And I remember I had these open wounds on my hand and I, I still have this like vivid recollection of those open wounds. I think we had to do like front leaning rest next. Mm -hmm. And like I was doing pushups in the grass with these open wounds on my hand. And as painful as it was, you felt a certain physicality, a certain um, communion with your, your, your own body. You felt very aware that the point that I'm trying to make is that you felt very aware of what you were thinking and what you were feeling physically in a way that you don't um, with all of these, you know, um, mediations for lack of a better word with with the ability to distract yourself from your own from your own body and your own thought patterns um not having a cell phone was like for three months was that's probably inconceivable to most people and that's why i think like these ideas that they have now about allowing people to use their their cell phones in in um recruit training um not recruit training maybe like other branches are allowing people to do that yeah. i think it's a service because um like it was such an intense experience for me. I can still visualize exactly how the 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 back of the head of the person who marched in front of me um, during drill and recruit training. I can still visualize thirty inches back the chest, motherfucker. <laughs> I, but these are things that I like. You just you just feel intensely when you're in there. And I remember uh, we weren't allowed to have any reading materials. Obviously, they let you keep like a teeny little address book, and I tried to fit as many like you know, poems and notes and addresses as I could in that before I went to recruit training, but that's all you had. Yep. But I remember um, uh, before the crucible or before whatever that event was that prepared you for the crucible, like you go and you like spend a day in the field or whatever, I had pilfered. Oh, uh, basic warrior training, BWT. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had pilfered I, and I got in trouble for it. I didn't realize I was doing something wrong, but I had pilfered um, a small pamphlet from uh, the church. And it was like basically a collection of, I didn't, you know, it, it was a, a collection of like short stories and essays. It was a really short pamphlet. They were like religious in nature, which isn't my interest at all, but it was like something to read. And I remember during BWT in my, um, in my sleeping system, like I took it out of my cargo pocket and I started reading it and I got, you know, I got yelled at or whatever else, you know, as a result of reading this thing. And, but I remember like the, the, the intense joy that I felt that I had this 
small, flimsy little pamphlet with words that I probably didn't care about on it, just something to read. Like it's such an intense, and I keep using the word, but like unmediated experience that I'll probably never have again because my apartment is surrounded with like computer screens and I've got my cell phone and I've got all this. Um, got but a massive bookshelf real, behind you. Hey, next yeah. summer, the UP, all right? We're going camping, all right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for yeah, the invite, books. man. No, yeah, but, but, imagine, but imagine that experience. Yeah, like, it's, it's are... raw, just like your hands in that story. You're, it's raw. Your experience is, is raw. You're experiencing these things. And I think I think I talked a little bit about this also uh, is about like like therapy and like the, what therapy is all about. Um, is like you talk yourself through treatment, but like a good pro part of that process is um, like processing your emotions and recognizing your emotions, reappraising your emotions. Um, but in order to do that, you have to experience your emotions fully. And I think in boot camp, you are you're you're like uh, to loop it back to identity. Your your identity is stripped from you. Everything about you, you are not yourself. No, you know? I don't agree with that. I take issue with that. That's that's like something at, like that's I think but no, I think too. So <clears throat> it's different from your experience because you had you had a better identity like before going into the in, before going into the Marine Corps. I think I think as young impressionable kids going in, you know, seeking that that turn into that evolution into manhood. I think that's that's part of like how I I, I felt like, you know, I didn't really necessarily feel like a number. Obviously, they use your name. But like, I didn't know like who I, I had an idea who I was, but I didn't know who I was officially, like officially until like afterwards, you know, well, because no, I'd, I'd really agree with that. I'm, I'm sorry. Like yeah. I mm -hmm. genuinely thought whenever I went into boot camp, like, Hey, I am literally just a number to them. One, five, one, seven, eight, two, eight, zero, one, three. That's it. That was it. Like I was just a number be. in the system. Yeah, the, man. Yeah. Yeah. Number and, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't do. And... I didn't. I'll fucking bleep that out of that. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't give a shit, man. Uh, bleep it out. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the 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 thing was, like, I just, I genuinely thought, hey, I'm literally just a number in this machine. Whether I end up making it or not, the Marine Corps will go on without me. And I don't think I really came into uh, understanding who I was as an individual and who I wanted to be until a couple of years into the Marine Corps, until I started having a little bit more of that leadership uh, forced onto me and realized like, hey, just because I yell and scream loud at people doesn't make them do what I want, even though that's been ingrained in you and ever since boot camp. Like being a leader is someone who can connect on another level with an, another individual, have them like reason with them under like have them do what you want them to do without necessarily ordering them to do it. Right. To have that connection with people and be like, hey, I care enough about you and I've put myself out there enough to where you should want to do what I need you to do. Does that make sense? Or am I just kind of rambling? Yeah, but I just I, I didn't have the experience. I mean, I mean, I think obviously everybody feels as though they're just um, sort of. Uh, as, as you say, a number I mean, that it's, is. It's, it's perspective. And I think your your perspective was your personality was was already formed. And we were still just forming ours. And the Marine Corps, like you said, it helped shape us to who we are. And I feel like that might have been a, been a problem, it sounds like. Because like you didn't, like the Marine Corps was trying to force you to be something that you, you just didn't want to fucking be. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I didn't, um, 
I didn't feel forced. I always felt like I had, I mean, th there were no instances in which I felt totally ethically compromised by what I was being asked. <laughs> yeah, I'm, really... not saying, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying... No, no, no. For an example, example no, no, an example would be like, oh, it's field day. And I'd, I'd be panicking. I'm like, oh, I got to yeah, fuck yeah. I got to do fucking field day. And yeah. Weiss is walking around his fucking chunk list, like just fucking, you know, just look, he's, he's, he's throwing something in the fucking microwave, like ramen or some shit. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, we got to clean. And he's like, don't even worry about it, man. And he, you know, he, and he, this is coming from a dude who's literally a worry worm about like 99% of everything else out there. But when it came to field day, he was just like, he's like, I'm a fucking grown ass man. He's like, he, he's like, I ain't going to let no See? fucking kids come in here and tell me like what, how my fucking room should be clean. And I was like, okay, like your side, but my side. And, we, and I was like, and we both use the fucking bathroom. Like, dude. And it was well, completely I, different for us. I remember staying up to like two in the morning, two, three in the morning. And they'd be like, oh, well, there's dust here. There's dust here. I remember they unscrewed the fucking light fixture on the fucking wall and said, why is there dust inside? And I'd be like, bro, they would keep us awake because of that. So, you know, that was our that was our dread. But then that's why I'm saying I can see Lucas's side. But then I see your side where it's like, bro, I'm a grown adult. I know how to yeah. clean, I know how to clean my room. What but the they didn't fuck with here? them. They didn't fuck with them because of that. Like they didn't. They didn't give a shit. Like they would come in. They wouldn't even fucking check his side. Half the time they would hardly even know his existence. You know, they, <laughs> he, he would. He would just like kind of shoot the shit with them. Kind of like you know, kind of suck their dicks a little bit. It was like oh, oh, like corporal. Like, and I'm like you know, oh buddy, buddy and shit. And I'm standing there like fuck, man. Like I'm the one that's really gonna have to answer for anything that happens. I have to answer for the both of us. And it's but I'll say I'll say this much right about the notion of like just being a number. Well, I. I I do want to finish you know one point really quickly about recruit training because this was something i was thinking and i wrote this down and i'll never forget this experience that when i would lay my head down on the rack at night at position of attention to pull, <laughs> um i remember just, just what, what i would do what i would do every night and there's a point to this this is going to coalesce into something um what i would do every night is i would think intently about how i would um organize my tray in the chow hole in the morning to be able to eat the most food uh, in the one in like one minute and 30 seconds that I gave us. And I remember I would sit in my rack at night and I would get this strange sort of pleasure, this like this, this joy in, in, the, in the quietude of, of um, what would they call that? Uh, what is that called? In the quietude of the squad bay yeah. in my mind, intensely envisioning. And this is the point that I'm trying to make. Like you don't, you can't have this experience now because you yeah. can't, we can't sustain a, th a thought with all this technology around us. Yeah, you know, I, would, I would be able That's to. That's a different you, conversation entirely. Yeah, we definitely want to have you back on to talk about that. But yes. yeah, I would be able to literally envision my tray at night, and um, and it would give me a strange sort of pleasure. And the whole point that I'm trying to make about boot camp is that I was able to concentrate. As difficult as it was, as painful as it was, as anxiety as inducing as as it was, there were these moments where I was able. I was totally alone, and I was able to concentrate and and envision things without interruption and i don't have that experience anymore it's like i'm an avid reader but it takes me so much longer to read now than it did probably when i was younger because you know i live in such a technologically mediated society i have a job that to some degree requires me to be you know responsive to text messages and emails the same with school um you know this this relatively recent expectation that if you have a cell phone you have to respond to everybody who text messages you or, or you're a bad friend like it was liberating especially in boot camp but even even in the the later years in the Marine Corps, being liberated from the expectation to remain in contact with my 600 Facebook friends or my you know you know my my 30 or so you know secondary and tertiary friends you know from from civilian life, like being liberated from that was like 
massive. It was so important for me. And like you asked, the question you were asking is like, well, what was the good experience about the Marine Corps? And it was like, well, I was, you know, I was able to concentrate sometimes and I was able to, um, you know, unplug yourself from society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I pun intended. Yeah. Like literally yeah. myself from society. And that's like, well, I don't know if you guys have that experience as civilians. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So much, I'm yeah. right there with you, man. Honestly, yeah, I so go much. all the time and just take my phone and put it away and don't touch it. Like I, I do yeah. need it for my job. I do need it for my business. Oh, we know, Aaron. But, we know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, like there'll be sometimes in the group chat over here, they're texting and talking and then they're like, where the fuck is Pot at? Like, where's Pot at? Are you alive? And be like, yo, bro, like I just, I, I still live that way and I still distance myself from being reliant on technology. And I love that aspect. Granted, I'm surrounded by it all the time and it's constantly oh, luring yeah. me. But yeah, and it, it does take constant effort to a point to a degree, but it's very liberating to just be like, I'm I'm just, you know, I'm here. I, I well not, not just that. Me. I feel like go back to what Evan said, it's like I don't think people understand like how like technology wasn't even a thing that we've would even think about i remember when i first got my cell phone in my hands at her boot camp i was like how the fuck do i use this again I, what the hell yeah, is this the same thing. i, I didn't forgot even my passcode and you realize and this is one of the things i realized too i was like after i was like three fucking months i was like damn i, was, I think i think about my life when i was like 17 18 like early 19 like th like within three months i'm like damn like i was doing a lot of shit Right. Like I was talking to a lot of people. I was doing, I was shaking, I was moving, I was shaking and moving out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you think that that's going to be sustainable even after you're gone. And I think one of the realizations that I had that I was like, oh, let me fucking, I'm going to open, I'm going to turn my phone on. It's some people are going to blow my shit up. And I realized there's nobody. It was fucking nobody. nobody. Like nobody really gave a shit. You know, it was, it was like I got a couple late text messages from people who, who realized that I had gone to boot camp. But like it was like onesies and twosies, but like it was I, I expected like this. I don't know what I expect, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I expect guess... when you come home, like, you know, people would be lining up like, hey, man, how's it going? How are you? No doing? one fucking no. cares. No yeah. One yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, I... the one thing that I took away when I got home, that was the biggest thing for me was I realized how attached to technology my little sister and my mother were. They were constantly on their phones 24-7. Like, I, I wouldn't, I, I go upstairs to go make breakfast. They'd already be on their phone. Throughout the day, they'd be on the phone. Well, like, you, you were just fucking shit. sitting there with your left hand on left knee, right hand no, on right knee. No, on no, no. But, like... but I remember that so vividly <laughs> because that's what leads me to live my life this way now is because I saw how sucked into their phones they were every hour of the day. Even still, like, I go back there and I'm like, yes, I'm getting a little bit worse at it. I'm, I'm constantly on my phone. Well, not constantly, but, you know, I'm a lot on, on it a lot more than I was when I was in the military. But I was like, dude, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be, you know, like have the number of likes on my my photos determine how I value myself, how I feel about myself. And so to cognizantly take that step and be like, no, I'm I don't care. So what if it, my phone buzzed? I'll get to it when I when I have a chance. I don't need to drop everything that I'm doing right now just to go answer that text. Yeah. That's yeah. that's not how I want to live my life. It's but it but but it's but there's so much pressure. That's like um and and you know that I, I was thinking to myself earlier today has how email, how these things that are um 
that were invented ostensibly as ways of bringing people closer together have actually driven us apart. And that's somewhat Absolutely. the experience that I've had with technology, like in the workplace, like how is email used? Email is used to um, hold you accountable. Like I'm going to send you an email so that if you don't do what I tell you to do, I can then hold you accountable for it. Or I'm going to, you know, and even in the way that it's we a speak record. Yeah. It's on the record. Know, yeah. Well, think about the way that we speak colloquially, like, Oh, Oh, I have receipts. Like I kept text messages. Like these are technologies that were invented to bring us closer together that, that are actually kind of like driving us apart. And that's, that's a big difference um, in my life now than when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, a big part of that difference is attributable to the fact that like, you know, um, you know, I, I'm in the professional workforce, I'm in school. Um, but these were things I didn't think about in the Marine Corps. Like I called my mother, um, you know, occasionally I texted with my friends and, and that was it. You know, yep. but now you're expected to be incredibly responsive um, or it's somehow an indication that you don't care. Yeah. I watch a lot of Seinfeld. Um, I know this is a bit tangential, but I watch a lot of Seinfeld, right? And I wonder sometimes how those interior scenes in Jerry's apartment would look like in the cell phone era. Like they wouldn't be <laughs> each other. Like they wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't be responding to each other with these, um, you know, witty retorts. They would be like looking at their cell phones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's another aspect of it. It's just like the district. And I'm not, oh, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm like holier than thou. I am totally addicted to my cell phone. Like I'm totally addicted to email. I was telling Lucas earlier today, like I just deleted my Facebook, like I'm not exempt from this, but it concerns me. And it's, you know, this was one of the good things about being in the Marine Corps is that you were kind of marooned. And at least for me, like I was able to concentrate a little bit more and I was able to be alone a little bit more. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there are days when I, I wouldn't put myself through all that stuff again, just to experience that, um, that privacy or that ability to concentrate. But there are days where like, I really miss it, where like I, I my bed at night and I try to read and I like read three pages and then I'm like, well, I, you know, let me check my email or, you know, I, I got an easy solution for you, man. An electronic it typewriter. Involves, no, no, no. It involves, it involves free hot meals, place to sleep, <laughs> an hour of free time to yourself a day. You Solitary confinement. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But like, I, like the electronic typewriter, that's, that's a good way. Like no yeah, distractions. Well, we've been, we, Amos and I have been talking about this. Like you probably yeah. can't see it, but it's like up there in a like a, a styrofoam case. I bought a free write the other day. It's this uh, it was this crowdfunded um, invention by this um, this group. They were trying to conceive solutions to the problems that writers were experiencing with all the distractions that are on the laptops and the cell phones. Like how do you how do you concentrate just on what you're writing? How do you just like continue to write and not feel the like impulse to like check your email? So it's if I haven't tried it yet, but it's supposed to be this really intuitive device. It has no distractions. It just has like literally an on-off switch and a keyboard and a small screen. Like you can't even go back and edit what you wrote. It's just it's a distraction-free device as um you know as it's advertised. But yeah, that was like that's that's something that I do like miss a little bit. And I know that's not everybody's experience. I know people. Um, were into their cell phones and like video games and stuff like that in the Marine Corps. I know people were really adamant about keeping in touch with like family, but you know, I, I, I grew further away from family while I was in the mil military. Like I just, even now to this day, I don't talk to them as much as I feel like I should, like a, a good son should, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. You're still a good son though. Yeah. I like to think so. You know? Yeah. yeah I think that's that's one thing that I, I really felt too is like, I thought I was closer with people. Like, I, then I'm like, I left and it was like, oh, like, just 
I don't talk to my, my family that often, my friends that often and shit. And the next thing I know, like, I'm fucking like, oh, I'm going home and leave. Like, go home and hang out with, like, one person. Right. Do, do like, <laughs> the same shit that I always do. Like, fucking and head back home to the back to the fucking Marine Corps. Like, I think, I think that was that was a big thing, too. It was, like, like realizing, like, how, like, alone you were, like, away from everybody. Even, like, you had your cell phone, but, like, who the fuck are you going to talk to? All your yeah. friends are around. All your friends are all around you. Like, <laughs> and and you kind of see this too. Like, I'm I don't know about you guys, but almost every leave block, there were, I at least had a conversation. In Hawaii, like, well, not yeah. only that, but like, I mean, every leave block, I think I had a conversation with at least a couple of my buddies about either like combining leave plans or like you know, kind of doing something different, kind of maybe um and, country yeah, yeah like something different like we always uh it was kind of almost anything not to come home <laughs> to be honest yeah because there's nothing at home man like you've yeah. done that you've lived there for Damn, however long family's nothing like no 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 no, no. <laughs> not saying family's nothing but i'm saying like yo you see your family for a couple of days great you got your fix now what you know you've got two fucking weeks and i just i went to india for one of my lead blocks right to to go back home to where i was raised and that was such an interesting experience. I remember I got stuck in China for four days and I didn't know what the fuck oh, to do. I remember I that. Got, <laughs> oh, dude, it was, uh, that's a trip. I'll, I'll tell that story another day. But damn, man, like just those crazy things that you wouldn't even think of. And you're like, how do I, how did I function? Like, figure it you, out. You know what's funny? Leave is like an analogy for like the, the entire experience of the Marine Corps. And maybe like, if, I mean, if you've ever read Proust, this is like, you know, at, at the heart of, um, his novels it's like we live in either a state of desire or a state of nostalgia and the stuff that comes in between like the actual substance of life is never what we think it's going to be it's like never it's never as fulfilling as we want it to be and so for me the marine corps as a whole like i desired to be a marine um so intensely for all the reasons that we discussed at the beginning of the, the podcast um and now in, in civilian life there are certain uh days in which i look back on it in nostalgia and sometimes you know I, I lapse into these moments of like wonderment, like, well, well, what would it be like if I stayed in, you know, but you know, the actual, I tried. <laughs> the actual, all we did was complain to each other about how we didn't want to be there. That was the same thing. With leave. I remember looking forward to leave. So, um, so intensely. And then when I got at, there at the end of each of those 10 days, I would just be counting to myself, like how many more days I had left. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I have to do this. I have to do that you know, but never actually enjoying the time. And I think that's like, I mean, that's a pretty, um, you know, that's a pretty dark analogy for life, but I think it rings true on some level is that we live in this state of constant desire that we expect things. Um, when they actually take place, they're, they're generally not as fulfilling as we hope they would be. But then after they're done, we look back on them with like this sense of nostalgia, you know, like yeah. the memory of the event is more, um, important or romantic than the actual experience of it and that's like, like i do think like i think I, I say to myself all the time like i would never say this to my family but i'm like you know what if i would have just stayed in hawaii like should have done that you know and then you realize you're in the middle of no but that's just an example of me not remembering how dismal i felt most days when i was there and how much i desired yeah. to come home to new jersey mm -hmm. you know yeah. And maybe I've, I've always been you like... Didn't, uh, you didn't even like the beach. So like that, like 90% of Hawaii is like a beach. Yeah, so... <clears throat> that, that's fucking... Yo, I'll never forget. Uh, and this is kind of change the topic a little bit, but I'll never forget the first interaction I had with Evan. And I didn't even know him at the time. I didn't even know it was Evan. But we were sitting in the theater on Marine Corps Base Hawaii. 
and we were listening to oh, Steve. Yeah. We were listening to Steve ramble oh, Steve, on and on yeah. about something. And he opened it up to like something about like, do you have any questions? And I remember I was like about to stand up. I was like, yo, this guy's not making any fucking sense. But I was like forming the thoughts in my head and how to articulate what I wanted to say without <laughs> being like come off as a smart ass. And then I, I see Evan just stand up. He's like, yeah, you. I was like, oh, okay. you know what? All right. Oh, yo, That's so funny. Oh, like, everybody, everybody talks about that moment. And I like, I would never do that ever again. Like I stood up in front of the entire battalion the and entire like Horatius at the and gate. He like very <laughs> he I, like, articulated his points. And yeah, he he I like shook my hand and whatnot. No, and but because like he asked the question we were and all thinking. Walked. And I was like forming this, this like thing in my head. Like, yeah, what the hell are you saying? But I can't say that. And so he like, he basically picked apart his argument and he's just like, hey man, well, what what about this and this and this? And at that point, something clicked in my head. I was like, holy shit, there's another Marine that, you know, I can have this intellectual conversation with. I need to get to know this guy. Oh, and, nice. and then I also realized that, hey, I need to start looking at a fucking dictionary anytime I want to talk to this fool because, you know, even now on this podcast, I'm sitting here like, okay, I got to look that word up. Oh, fuck. I, sh- I have no idea what the fuck that means. When do I use that in a, in a sentence? You know what I mean? So no, that was my number one thing. And then the number two thing was I, I, I genuinely don't remember what, when we actually like face to face ever talked in the Marine Corps. I know we were in the same. It had community. to be, it had media, uh, it had to be mediated by Lucas. <laughs> yeah, it probably. Been. It had to have been. Lucas is one of those guys like he, <laughs> I, I don't know how he knew so many people. Like, I don't know how he knew literally everybody. And everybody Got was around. Friend, like, oh, you don't know this guy? He's from, you know, he's from like one three. He's from two three. You don't know this guy? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I, after work, I go to my barracks room. I sleep. Yeah. And I like, you know. Well, that's why. That's why. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. that's a, that, that was a good moment about like what, uh, uh, what Aaron brought up, you know, outwalked Horatius, you know, brave Horatius, captain of the guard, like, you know, <laughs> moment where you just kind of stood up against all odds. Um, that, was my, really... I think that was my last, like, uh, that was my last proud moment in the Marine Corps. <laughs> that was pretty early i think that was pretty early on yeah no, no, no. I, was, I was still <laughs> so that's pretty early on in the career there <laughs> i think oh, uh man. i think i but... like, derived to the fleet but but yeah they're like i and, and and looking back on 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 stuff like that or i look back on um you know the the feeling of waking up on a saturday morning when you have like a 72 or a 96 and you go to the chow hall and you can just spend two hours there i mean i know most people didn't want to spend two hours in the chow hall but definitely not no yeah there were these like uh there, there were these moments of like relaxation and privacy and you know um and and this is like you know if if my family and friends ever heard this they'd probably be angry too but like you know, my family didn't know when I had off and I didn't always tell them or, you know, my friends didn't know when I was able to communicate or when I wasn't allowed to use my cell phone. And I didn't always tell them because like, you know, that was important to me to not, you know, feel responsible to communicate with everybody in my life. And I I guess in retrospect, that's, you know, people wanted to speak to me and, you know, I probably could have been more attentive, but like, that was important to me. And that's something that I'll probably never experience again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, without, without feeling as though I'm offending people. Well, yeah. why is that so important though? Like, so what you offend people, it is what it is. Yeah. I, but I mean, it's just a natural human emotion that like, you know, when people care about you, they want to talk to you. Like when my mother texts me, like, you know, she's my mother, she's done more for me than any human being on this earth. Like I should be yeah. you know, glad to text her back. 
you know, and, and the Marine Corps gave me an excuse, or at least they, uh, I wouldn't call it an excuse, but, but it gave me an opportunity to maybe sometimes not be as responsive as I should have been. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, no, I completely understand where you're, what you're saying, but I, I don't, I don't completely agree with it because <clears throat> I, I definitely, again, maybe I'm the bad son here, but, um, no, like I, I, even to this day, like, you know, the, the family will text me or talk, want to talk and I just won't respond or I'll, I'll make an excuse not to, or maybe I'll get to it a week later. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's just, I, I don't want to say it's not important to me because they're the ones that raised me. Right. Yeah. But it's not on my, that high on my priority list. Like, it's not something that I go out of my way to, to go talk to. Like my inner circle is basically the gentleman at my business, gentleman at my job, and the girlfriend at home and i can go with just that circle of people just yeah. fine like i don't i don't need to go talk to the parents like I, i'll talk to them maybe like once a month if that and it's it's kind of crazy to me oh you know? I, I probably have i mean i have what i'm saying is that i'm probably like you in the sense that i don't yeah. uh, communicate as much as i should but yeah. now that i'm not in a situation where I have an excuse not to communicate. I feel a little bit more guilty about it, you know? And, uh, oh, okay. Okay. Or, yeah, or if, yeah, even if I don't feel guilty, I feel, uh, you know, a, a pressure to respond. I mean, and that's an, ob like, an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, it feels like you're obligated to. Um, and I mean, I, the way I chalk it up and, you know, I hope if my family does listen to this, they don't fucking take offense to it. But like, um, you know, I lived in fucking Hawaii. You know, I was renting a house. I was five minutes from the fucking beach. Like I had, you know, I, I had fucking plenty of time, plenty of time. Yep. You know, I could have rented a car cheap as fuck from like the enterprise on base if they needed a car or whatever, if they wanted to get around. All you had to do is pay the fucking plane ticket to come out and see me. How many, how many of those people came out to come see me? Absolutely, absolutely none of them. Yeah. Absolutely none of them. And none of them, and, and all, every single one, every fucking time I talked to them, it was like, when are you coming here? How well you, when you coming yeah. back, when am I going to see you again? And I'm like, oh, so I got to spend my money and spend days of my life traveling all the way back to the East coast. So you guys can say you saw me and I can come back and, you know, just fucking yep. kick shit as, as usual. And I took yeah. issue with that too, because I, again, I was in Hawaii, it's paradise on earth. Right. Yeah. And I'd go up to the family and I'd be like, Hey, so, you know, what, when are you coming out here? You haven't visited me once. Like I see some other people, the parents are coming out here and they're having a good old time. They're enjoying the Island. They're having fun with their kids. I'm like, yo, why don't you come out here? I literally live in the most beautiful place on the earth. And they're, they're like, Oh, well it's just too far. I'm like, well, how do you think I feel? Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I was, I was definitely blessed. My dad, my dad uh, had the opportunity to make it out and my dad was in the Navy too. So yeah. I met, I met your dad out. when he came yeah, out. We actually, yeah. We actually got drinks together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we did. I yeah. It was a good time. That, yeah. yeah. Cool dude. Yeah, he, he talks about that still. He he still he still yeah. always, always ask about you. Yeah. And that so, was his uh, was that his that was his cousin that was with him or yep, family friend yep. cousin yeah cousin yep. yeah they made it out we have to go see Pearl Harbor and show him everything and, and that was awesome to take take my dad to that and see that and and actually since I've been out of the Marine Corps my dad and me hang out more than any but I see my dad yeah every week pretty much every week yeah. you guys went fishing too you guys went the, on yeah, the charter boat yeah, yeah that, that's deep pretty, sea fishing that's pretty that's yeah. pretty fucking cool yeah I got a mounted mahi mahi for that nice nice <laughs> nice nice but we'll, we'll fucking uh we'll, we'll wrap it here uh wrap it up here. So we, we'll go around the horn. Does anyone have any like closing thoughts? Aaron, we can start with you. Yeah. Number one, just good to finally connect with you, Evan. Good to to see yeah. your your inner struggles and uh uh just get to know you at a deeper level. I hope we continue this conversation. And yeah. uh yeah, man. I'm we made it. 
If I can yeah. make it right <laughs> that, you know what I mean? The gra- yeah. Is the grass greener? <laughs> I mean, that's a matter of perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, fucking Chris. Evan, dude, I fucking loved having you on, bro. I miss you, dude. You're fucking one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. When I like just talking to him, I feel I feel elevated just like like fucking talking to fucking Evan. <laughs> no, man. But uh, appreciate but, that yeah, appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, hey, like I say every week, reach out to a buddy, tell him what's up, tell him yeah. what's enrolling vets, tell him about the fucking man Evan, tell him to go get some fucking vet labs pre workout. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you guys later. All right, Evan. Yeah, you, you oh, wanna... oh, I thought yeah. you were going to address me like Evan, comma. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, no, I certainly, I mean, you referenced inner struggles. I don't, you know, I, I certainly didn't want to make this like a therapy podcast. My my yeah. whole point was to sort of um, suggest that, you know, even if um, one doesn't take away from the Marine Corps, all of the things that are, you know, you know, told to you by the recruiter that are in the, the, you know, the, the fancy literature that they give you, you go to the recruiting office, even if you don't take the, away the, the little placards too. Yeah. yeah the, the pride of belonging. Right. And even if that isn't, even if that isn't your experience, like um, you, you number one, can't change it. And number two, um, it, you know, it is a fact that sometimes people develop, like, as I said earlier, friendships and intimacies that, you know, last a lifetime. And um, you know, what I appreciate about what you guys are doing here. And as I said, I haven't, you know, listened to too many of your podcasts, but it seems to me like you're, um, your intent upon, you know, keeping people together and reminding people, you know, of those uh, small but not insignificant moments of like joy and camaraderie and um, and and happiness that were, uh, you know, that took place during our time, you know, in the Marine Corps. Um, and no, just thanks for having me on. And you know, this was such a pleasure. And hopefully, I get to come on again. Oh Absolutely. yeah, definitely. Because yeah, we still have we still have so much done. Yeah, so we gotta much. talk about like we gotta talk about technology and shit. We'll, we'll dive into that. Oh, yeah, love to be on that. Yes, one. that's yeah. a big one, and yeah. I, I think we can have some very awesome conversations about it. Yeah, um, yeah. We have think... we can we kind of have an episode. I think on that. I think Chris and I do, but we were yeah. like, really really high for that one. Fucking gone. Go listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um... have to be gone first before you go listen to it. How about that? <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll close too. Is like um, some of the things that we we touched on, uh, I think are are very important here. Like the uh, obviously, regardless of your age or your creed or your race or whatever, when you enter the military, everyone carries. You know, the great book by um by uh, what's his name, last name O'Brien. I don't want to give him an Irish nickname, just or an Irish first name, the just out of things fucking, we carried. Yeah, the things we carried. Yeah. Um, I mean that's a, that's always a good. That's always a that's always a good analogy. Um, I I've always thought of like the things that you carry and even things that you carry, like outside of the Marine Corps, um, because of your experiences in the Marine Corps and really honing in on yourself, like your self identity and and using that self awareness that you developed um, during your experience to to hopefully you know apply it beneficially in your life. I think it's very important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So. Great fucking things to to um more things to unpack later on, Evan. You're one of my closest friends. Um, I mean, something that's really helped me, um, especially in our relationship. And obviously, I always recommend this is fucking read, people. Go out there and read. You know, read something, 
um improve your improve your well-being if you can't if you can't Lucas will text about shakespeare random oh yeah shakespeare like we talk henway we talk fitzgerald like we we talk we talk everybody like poems like i just actually i was going to tell you i have like i just bought a harold bloom like the the greatest poems of the english language okay Um, yeah. yeah and i've been fucking that up lately but i'm getting into poetry again um so maybe i'll read something on here sometime but you should read his book about um uh uh, did I recommend it to you? Uh, he has a, a tomb, a really long book about uh, his theory that Shakespeare invented the human. Yeah, I, ha- I have that one. Yeah, the invention. Oh, yeah, 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 the invention of the human. Yeah, the human rather. Yeah, yeah, that's good. another good one if you're interested in uh, Harold Bloom. He's a literary critic or was a literary literary critic. Um, but yeah, just read more. Just do something. If you if you don't can't sit down and read, just fucking do audio books. I'm telling you, audio books are, are are the way to go um if you if you can't if you seem like you can't find the time but also reach out to a buddy you know after you reach out to a buddy not only tell them about the podcast but tell them about vet labs you know there's two magical things going on here three magical things you have the podcast you have vet labs and you have camaraderie ain't nothing fucking better than that (laughs) yeah and the guys that i don't speak to it was really good seeing you guys like chris and 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 aaron uh whether this makes it onto the podcast or not i'm just like um you know, speaking freely now, like it was really good to see you guys. And like, I'm truly, um, you know, uh, happy that, that you guys are happy and healthy and, and enjoying your lives. Like it's, it's cool to, it's cool to see you guys. I know it's been a while. Absolutely. I appreciate that brother. Yeah, no, yeah for sure. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up with the outro. Well, here we are. You stuck time with out, us all. Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Okay. Go ahead. We're hitting the outro. Also, yeah. <laughs> next week, look forward to Mr. Chris Ellis over here giving his motivational marine story. That's happening. Fucking oh, Iwo Jima. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. That's happening. Okay. So look forward to that. Please stay tuned, and uh, that'll give you something yeah. to tune into. I remember. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's I can't smoke shit. for that one. I got I to gotta be sober. All right. Be, drink for that one, then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. Inside copious notes. There you go. Yeah, copious. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, here we are. You stuck with us all the way to the end. We thank you for listening. We want our listeners to know that if your pack becomes too heavy, don't drop it. The Veterans Crisis Hotline can be reached at 1-800-273-8255. If you'd like to enjoy more content, don't forget, don't forget to subscribe and simplify and keep rolling on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you.